You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Downtown studio at the bottom of the hour, the head coach and general manager of your Calgary Stampeders, Dave Dickinson. Getting ready to play the uh, the perfect Toronto Argonauts. It's going to be a tough matchup. What's the murders row? Argos, Lions, Bombers, Argos? Is that how it goes? Correct. Tequila. Okay. It's going to be a good test. I'm sure he's looking forward to the challenge. Yeah, for sure. They got to get this thing right. And, and uh, uh, these are always rowdy because um, most of these guys are former teammates and they don't like losing to each other. Yeah. And uh, 8 o'clock, we're going to help you out. Some uh, early fantasy football talk. Mm. Drafts at the end of the month. Yep. Season kicks off in September. Let's do it. Hall of Fame game this Sunday. Let's yeah. do oh, it. It's Thursday. It's Thursday? It's, what, it's tomorrow? tomorrow. Yeah, it's, it's oh, okay. Jets-Browns tomorrow. Okay. I should really look at the caliber. <laughs> I knew it was coming up. I have been watching training camp live, though. Yes. Mm. Yeah, you have the NFL. And, and then you day. get hyped up about all these guys because they, they look great. Best shape of their lives in camp. They look explosive. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nothing you like fished in on everything. Yeah, I, I like to structure my entire fantasy draft based on like three yeah. Twitter videos of a second year receiver making a great catch against a defensive back that will never see the light of day. I, I just want to hear stuff like when Keith Kachuk came back after the lockout when he was like 50 pounds overweight. <laughs> I want to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah. He's he's humongous. He's huge. He's out of shape. He's humongous. <laughs> that guy put on eighty lbs in the offseason and, and not the good type. Weight. Not the good type. <laughs> what good type? He's a lot more jolly. Yeah. <laughs> if he's not playing tackle in December, yeah. he'll be able to apply for another Ooh. job. He just came to camp in the worst shape of his life. <laughs> You never hear that. Uh, never. It's usually brief if you hear things like yeah. that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Blue Jays got whipped by the Orioles last night. They made some moves to the deadline. Um, Show Elite does a great job uh, hosting Blue Jays talk. You hear him on the broadcast on the Sportsnet radio network. He joins us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Hello, friend. How are you? George, how's it going, man? Good. Um, for those of, of our Calgary listeners who don't know, uh, you've done a, a. Are you still doing the movie podcast, or you just don't have time for that right now? I, I do do it. I, I'm, I'm kind of putting the finishing touches on an episode that uh, the Barbenheimer episode. How can you not, right? Okay. Mm. Well, I don't want you to give too much away. Uh, it's Showtime, which is a great uh, name for a podcast. But uh, your thoughts quickly on both of those movies. Uh, Barbie was hilarious. Ryan Gosling is a national treasure. One of Canada's greatest okay. exports. And Oppenheimer, uh, for you know what, for a three-hour courtroom drama where there is just a lot of weird stuff and a lot of talking going on, it was very engaging. So I would highly recommend a watch of both. Okay. Uh, I love it. Um, the Blue Jays trade deadline, um, underwhelming as a whole, kind of? Yeah, I think so, right? Because it feels like a lot more expectations were were heaped upon this team because uh, even though the trade deadline, George, I've never really felt as though it's it's the spot where you remake your team necessarily, but it is a spot where you augment a good team to be a great team. And I'm not really sure the Blue Jays are 
a great team. I think they're a good team, but uh, you know the changes they made at the deadline, the additions they brought in, Paul DeYoung, for example, a, a necessary addition with the uh, injury to Bo Bichette. And I think there are some, there's an interesting idea of having DeYoung play perhaps not shortstop once Bo returns, but of course we have no idea how long Bo is going to be out for, so you would imagine DeYoung is going to be the everyday shortstop. Jordan Hicks was the best available reliever on the market. I know he, he for his uh, Blue Jays debut last night, it was not particularly uh, heralded because he, he did give up a number of runs more or less right away, but he'd also not pitched in like, I think he'd pitched prior to last night one time in 13 days. So he just needed to get the arm work going a little bit there. But I don't know. I, you know, I think if you look at it in a vacuum, uh, a guy who would bat no higher than sixth, perhaps, and a, the top reliever, that's a pretty good uh, va- deadline in a vacuum. But for what the Blue Jays needed, it did feel kind of underwhelming. Is there a chance because obviously Bo's bat one of the best in all of Major League Baseball, but the glove, meh, not the best at times. Show is there a chance that because of uh, maybe potentially having Bo at second play occasionally, or that's just not on the table here because DeYoung is an elite glove at shortstop. There's no chance Bo plays second when he comes back, is there? Or we see him DH a little more. You know, I, I don't think the second thing happens, but I actually do wonder about the DH spot because they, I, I don't think they're going to rush him back necessarily because he's arguably the most important player on the team. But at the same time, you know, if, if he does need to work his way back in there a little more and they don't want him moving that knee around because shortstop, obviously, as we all know, is super demanding position. So if that, if that is the case, then I kind of wonder if there's an argument to be made for having Bo DHing a little bit more and then you have, you know, someone else play at short, whether it's DeYoung getting in there or, Espinal, although I would think if the choice is between Espinal and De Jong, you're probably going De Jong because, like you were saying, George, he's a, an elite glove. But then beyond that, it still leaves other spots open for other guys, even if they want to take a day off. Like you don't, you know, you, you can't really have both catchers in there if Bo is DHing. But you know, if Danny Jansen, for example, continues to play hot, then maybe it's not a huge issue to not have both catchers in there. Or obviously, it might depend on if, uh, let's say, they're playing a lefty and they want Brandon Belt in there. They, they've all played well, but. Obviously, the most dangerous bat on the team, at least right now, is Bo Bichette. So, yeah, I, I don't think he plays second, but I could see the DH uh, role being split a teensy bit more when it comes to Bo's role within it. Just given what we've seen recently with the injuries and, and just recent play of some of the players, where's an ideal spot in the lineup for DeYoung to come in and, and bat for the Jays? So, Matt, you mean like uh, like in the batting order, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I guess... Uh, I would imagine it was no bow. I would think after all of Merrifield, who I've actually really enjoyed seeing yeah. bat leadoff, he's been great. So I think he's pretty much has to stick there. So after it goes something like Merrifield, Vladdy, perhaps Belt, if you want to get a lefty up there somewhere, Chapman, Springer. Mm. Probably after that is where I would have DeYoung. Like I think I, there is something to be said for having some pop at the bottom of the order with when it comes to Danny Jansen, maybe in that lower third. But, I mean, if he keeps on hitting the way he's hitting, maybe there is an argument to bat him a little higher. So right in that, like, 6-7 spot, depending on the opposing matchup, is, I think, where DeYoung can find himself. Because he also has two options remaining. I think he has one for next year and then one for the year after. So you got to think that he, the next year's option is going to be exercised almost regardless. But mm-hmm. I do kind of think that they're, they're going to give him a little bit a little bit more opportunity to hit a little bit higher in the order. And, I mean, it's been kind of the mushy middle, right, when it comes to the Chapmans, the Springers, and uh, 
and, and so on. Kirk, for example, who have all had up and down years. So, you know, maybe there's a chance for DeYoung to bat a little higher, but at least to start, I, w- I would expect maybe, yeah, six or seven. Have you seen anything positive in the George Springer at bat since he's been moved down the lineup? Oh, boy. Well, you know what? Not, not so much last night, I'll say that, although I guess yeah. when you lose – when he was thirteen to three, I guess uh, no one was really positive yeah. beyond the the belt and uh, and Jano home runs. But you know the the night before he had had I, I think like some pretty good contact. It, it kind of felt like he had actually changed his approach a little bit. He was taking some more pitches because I, I don't know about you guys, but I was I was getting kind of tired of seeing. Springer come up with guys on first and second with one out, and then on the first pitch hits into a double play, and then the inning is over. I, it was getting a little tiresome, but I said that the game after that, the first game against the Orioles, I guess it was on Monday, and uh, yeah, he didn't did obviously the the hitless streak continued, but you know he did he did have a better approach. The ball was being lifted more, it was being hit less on the ground. He very narrowly missed out on some home runs. I know it sounds like some moral victories when it comes to describing Springer these days, but. It, it, it did kind of feel like there were some signs of turning it around. So, I mean, you know, I, I, you hear guys talk about how baseball is supposed to be fun all the time. It has not looked like George Springer is having a lot of fun, Matt. So I guess uh, we'll, we'll see if he can continue to do that. But if, if he at least continues the same approach, then I would expect the results will follow because he is still, if not an elite hitter, a very, very good hitter over the, over the balance of his entire career. And I expect that to kind of, you know, even out at some point. Jolie does pre- and post-game on the Sportsnet Radio Network for the Toronto Blue Jays. Joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. So 7-22 and now against the American League East, uh, but 52-27 and against everyone else, which is the best record in baseball. Like, how, how, do, you, how do you digest uh, those numbers, Show? Oh, yeah. they're It's pretty awful, especially when it, it feels like a lot of the the seven and twenty two numbers are really just against the O's and the Red Sox, right? I mean, you look at their record; it's still not a great record against the Yankees and and the Rays, but at the same time, it does kind of feel like they they've had decent enough seasons with some plays that have gone kind of gone either way against Tampa and New York, but against Baltimore and Boston, for whatever reason, it has been absolutely atrocious. It's so it's so baffling, George, because. This is a team that has swept the Mets on the road. Maybe that's not as much of an accomplishment as I thought it would be uh, coming into the season. But <laughs> they swept the Mets on the road. Uh, they swept the Braves. They swept the Diamondbacks. They were like a one complete meltdown away from sweeping the Dodgers in Los Angeles. It's just, and then and then you look at these series against the Orioles and the Red Sox. It's just, it's it's kind of baffling. And it, you know that the problem is too is. You look at this upcoming series, there's two more games against the Orioles, obviously one today and one tomorrow, and then the three-game set in Boston against the Red Sox. The Red Sox, are, I think they're going to get back Trevor Story, who arguably is one of their best players and has been one of the better players in baseball over the course of his, generally over the course of his career whenever he's healthy. So, I don't know. It's not, the road is not necessarily getting any easier for the Blue Jays, but it does mean that for whatever reason, they, they need to make up some ground here. Even if they just salvage the series by winning one game and you can go into Boston on a, on a bit of a roll, because I think the Red Sox did win last night, so it basically means they're only two games back of the Blue Jays, both in the division and the wild card. So like, they have to win at least one or two games in, at Fenway if they want to fend off the Red Sox. Otherwise, they'll be looking on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoff picture. One of the guys they acquired at the deadline to help with this playoff run they're on right now is Jordan Hicks. They've wanted to get him into the last couple of games, but they haven't really had any high leverage situations. He gets in yesterday in the ninth, gives up a couple of runs. What, what did you make of 
what we saw from him, and how do you think John Schneider can use him to help win some games, especially with Jordan Romano currently out? You know, Matt, I do like the presence of Jordan Hicks to somewhat reorder the bullpen a little bit. And, you know, kind of kind of along with that, I wonder if what we saw from Nate Pearson last night does spell the end for him when it comes to not like as a Blue Jay necessarily, but maybe he, maybe when Chad Green comes back or maybe when, when another roster move is made, maybe, you know, Nate Pearson unfortunately does go down. But at the very least, you do have Jordan Hicks to alleviate some of that stress being put on the bullpen because heaven knows we have seen the bullpen get redlined with starters not going as long, for example. But I don't know. I, I Despite the results uh, box score-wise for Jordan Hicks, like I said, he had pitched prior to last night just once in 13 days, so he needed to get the arm going. I don't really know that he was throwing as hard or as intensely when you're down by so many runs late in the game. I think he just needed some work. So I'm not, I don't read too much into last night's game specifically, but if Hicks can be your closer or at least he can share that closer role until Romano comes back with guys like Swanson or, I don't know, maybe Jimmy Garcia, who has the most safe experience outside of Hicks uh, of the remaining members of the bullpen, then, you know, that's definitely a good spot to be in because I guess if your bullpen is now, let's see, and I'm going to count Romano for this, but if your bullpen is now Romano, mm-hmm. Hicks, Tim Meza, uh, Trevor Richards, certainly Genesis Cabrera, and other guys as well, then that's a, that's, like, that's a pretty good group of five to seven guys. And I like to use the term circle of trust. I think Hicks can pretty much immediately find himself maybe in like the middle of that circle of trust going forward. Ben. And you know what? When Romano comes back, having two bona fide closers can't be anything but a good thing because we have kind of seen the results of what too much overwork on some of these guys like Swanson and Romano looks like. So to get guys to kind of share the load probably doesn't hurt it at all in any way. We also saw Ryu make his first start of the season, first start in 14 months since he had the Tommy John. Um, just a thought on what we saw from the uh, big Korean hurler. You know what? That, that he was on a mound at age 36 after having significant surgery as well as the amount of mileage he's logged on that left arm of his, I'm, I'm frankly amazed that he was on the mound at all. I think it was something like 420 days or something like that since he had last uh, seen uh, action on a major league mound. So that's just by itself impressive because when I like stub my, I'm like I'm, I'm younger than Ryu. When I stump my toe, I feel like I'm on the 60 day myself, right? <laughs> so I, I'm I'm totally uh, impressed by what Ryu did. He obviously got hit hard. In the first inning, absolutely. The fastball was has never been his best pitch. It's a pretty low velo pitch when you look at some of the fast. We just talked about Jordan Hicks. His fastball gets up to like 104 miles an hour. Ryu's fastball last night topped out at 91 miles an hour. But you know what? I mean, fastball's never been his thing. The curveball, he was kind of using it to yo-yo guys back and forth. And he did actually settle in pretty well, unfortunately, up until the Gunnar Henderson home run that spend, spelled the end of his day. But Generally speaking, I mean, I think I, I actually kind of liked what I saw. I mean, prior to him coming back out for the sixth, if you had said to me prior to yesterday that you were going to get five innings of three earned run or less from Ryu, I would have been thrilled. I would have been <laughs> absolutely <laughs> thrilled given that this guy has not pitched in like 14 months. So he, he remains the, the precision artist he has always been. He was really painting the strike zone for most of the night. The curveball looked good. The changeup looked good. And, and all of his pitches did get hit in the end. But once he settled in, I think it, it definitely spells at least for this 17 games and 17 days stretch. If you can at least have Ryu to give every one of the other starters, like a Gosman, a Barrios, a Bassett, 
an extra day of rest, that can't be anything but a good thing for the rotation because they, I think all of those guys are on pace for career highs and innings pitched. And if the, you don't want to always be going to the bullpen. So it, it'll be nice to give these guys a bit of a breather, and Ryu can definitely help do that. Yeah, I, I know the six-man rotation is a good idea, but how much do you think the Jays are going to depend on Ryu and Alec Manoa here? Because I feel like both of those guys are fighting kind of for that fifth spot, which is mind-blowing because you say Kikuchi's in this rotation and he'll start tonight yeah. and he's been throwing really well tonight. But how much confidence do you think they have in both of those guys to give them solid innings down the stretch? Because show it feels like anytime those guys take the mound now, it's kind of a wild card. Yeah, especially with Manoa. Okay, who, who would have thought, George, here we are, August 2nd, 2023, that we'd have been talking about the, the kind of different seasons in, in a kind of not-so-positive way for both Alec Manoa and Alejandro Kirk, for example, who were both all-stars last year, who both, you know, Kirk Silver Slugger for Kirk and an all-star appearance and all-star appearance for Manoa and a, uh, a, a Cy Young votes, etc. It's pretty wild to think where we are. But it's, you're not wrong. I mean, I, I went down to the meeting yesterday with John Schneider in his office before the game, and I, I remember someone asked him, I think it was Shy, asked him about the six-man rotation and how long they might be committed to it. And like beyond the 17 days and seven, 17 games and 17 days, pardon me, he, he didn't really seem to be that committed to it. So it kind of sp- says to me that after this stretch, I think the next day off of the Blue Jays is August 14th, which is the Monday, after that, it kind of feels like maybe they. it might largely depend on how either or both of Ryu or Manoa are pitching. And maybe maybe one of them gets moved to the bullpen. Maybe one of them just has a start skipped here and there, depending on how they're doing. Because, I mean, you talk about Alec Manoa, George. The last time we saw him, maybe the last two times we've seen him since the All-Star break, it's been fine. I don't know that it's been particularly great. I don't think it's actually been particularly bad either. It's just been... It's been very meh in the very middle of the road for Alec Manoa since the return from the All-Star break. So I guess there are some positive things to build on because he's been using the slider a little bit more. and The slider was his put-away pitch last year, and it kind of it does look a little bit better. But, you know, he, he still has to walk a lot of less guys. So Hyunjin Ryu actually gave me, I feel like, considering the circumstances, it gave me a little bit more to kind of hang your hat on a little bit, but... I don't know. With Alec Manoa, it's still so much of a wild card that I, I do kind of wonder if there's a situ- if there's a scenario in the not too distant future after this long stretch here where maybe Ryu stays in the rotation and, and Manoa does not. Um, show I know Ross talked about it yesterday. Uh, some of the internal options the Blue Jays might be using here down the stretch. What are some of those options? You know, one guy I have had my eye on for a while, George, is Davis Schneider because he, he this guy has an OPS of like almost a thousand in the minor leagues. He has over twenty home runs. I just I'm not really sure what more he could gain experience wise or like seasoning wise, for lack of a better word, when he, if he was staying in with Buffalo. He's also I think he's eligible for the Rule Five draft, and uh, he's also Which not. This is on the my favorite man. draft out of all of them. Show uh, the Rule Five draft <laughs> to me is the best. Maddie, can you explain the Rule 5 draft to us? Uh, no, I can't. Please go on. <laughs> yes, the, the sexiest draft of them all. You have the, the Rule mm-hmm. 5 draft and then the NFL draft, yep. right, guys? But, no, the uh, David Schneider, I think, he can be added to the roster. You'd have to cut someone, probably DFA someone like we saw Mitch White and Jordan Luplo. Uh, they say goodbye to those guys in the last couple of days. So I, James, David Schneider, I think, would be a great addition to the team because he can play a multitude of different positions. I kind of wonder if with the uh, addition of 
Paul DeYoung if that kind of postpones that to a certain extent. But at the same time, maybe that does mean both DeYoung's presence and the possible addition of a Schneider, for example. I kind of wonder if it's made guys like Kevin Biggio and or Santiago Espinal a little redundant. Like you might as well see what you have. Mm. I mean, you look at the look at the Orioles, right? The team is a this is a team that has called up. It feels like a million guys this year, and all of them to a person have contributed in meaningful ways. Like at some point, you need the guys in the minors. You can't keep trading them. Like you, at some point, you need them to contribute in some way, shape, or form. And I think David Schneider is my favorite. I definitely thought Otto Lopez would contribute more than he has, but unfortunately, after having a relatively strong showing for Team Canada at the WBC. Prior to the season, he's now in the 60-day IL. So we're not going to see a lot from Otto Lopez this year. I guess Ernie Clement and Nathan Lucas have been fine in, in flashes, but uh, we haven't seen so much that from them that it matters to keep them on the roster, I think. So giving a chance to guys like David Schneider, perhaps even Addison Barger, if things change a little bit when it comes to Bo's health, I wouldn't mind seeing him up either. But those are probably the two position players that can contribute the most. Because I'm not sure Ricky Tiedemann comes up and plays this year. And the other guys, they're not probably not going to fit in the bullpen, let's say, as, as presently constructed. What did you make of some of the moves made by teams around the Blue Jays? Tampa, Houston, Boston, L.A. What did you make of some of the things that went on around the Jays as they kind of continued to go in this race? It's pretty wild, Matt, that the Los Angeles Angels, I honestly don't remember the last time the Angels went out and bought to this degree. I don't know if you guys do, but like, I honestly don't remember the last time they did it to this, this much. Because and Kudos to them for saying, hey, we're keeping Shohei Otani. Uh, I guess Perry Manassi doesn't want to be the guy who's known for trading away, like arguably the best player <laughs> in the history of baseball. But that they went out and bought significant additions, I think does show that they are at least serious about trying to keep Shohei, so that's always kind of fun. I don't, I'm not sure it'll matter, unfortunately, because it is such a logjam, not only for the third wild card, but just for literally everyone else. I'm not sure it'll really matter. As far as the, the American League East goes, though, like the, the teams below the Blue Jays in the standings, the Red Sox and the Yankees within the division, they didn't really make anything major, no major moves, like Luis Urias going to the Red Sox. Not really sure that's going to be a huge thing. I think it went directly to the minors because um, he's been injured for a huge chunk of the year. And then you have the Yankees, who I have no idea what the Yankees are doing. They acquired a reliever in Keenan Middleton. And, I mean, yeah, sure, he was a, he was definitely going to be traded from the White Sox. I'm not really sure. With the Yankees' host of uh, issues, their multitude of issues, I'm not really sure like a like a, a you know eighth-inning reliever is necessarily going to change their, their season. The teams above the Blue Jays in the Rays and the Orioles definitely made some interesting moves. I'm not sure if Jack Flaherty is going to necessarily reorder the, the Baltimore Orioles rotation in the same way that like a, perhaps a, an Eduardo Rodriguez or a Dylan Cease would have. But, I mean, neither of those guys were traded in the end anyway. So they kind of had to make do with Jack Flaherty. And he's fine, but, you know, he's probably not going to make or break the Orioles season. And then you got the Tampa Bay Rays. They might, they might have, Matt, made my favorite move in the sense of they sold Luis Patino for cash, and then they traded for Aaron Savali from the Cleveland Guardians. And Aaron Savali, again, I don't know if he's like a household name by any means, but given that the Rays, you could probably make a starting rotation out of all of the starting relievers, pardon me, starting uh, pitchers that have been uh, injured for the Rays, so that they have Aaron Savali can, can only be a good thing for them. And they, you know what, despite the fact that they've scuffled for most of the second half of the season, they've actually played pretty well as of late, so... I know Jays fans don't want to hear this, but that was probably one of the better moves the team in the AL East made. Uh, show terrific stuff as usual. Let's do it again soon, pal. Thanks for this. 
Yeah, George, you know, you know me, man. Anytime. Uh, Matt, nice to chat with you. And, uh, yeah, go, uh, go Argos. <laughs> okay. Oh, whoa, whoa. Hey, well, there's a, Unreal. There's a, there's a slight. Never again. Never okay. Again. All right. Uh, thanks, Joe. Talk to you soon. See you, guys. There you go, just dropping a bomb, like just just dropping the smoke bomb and disappearing. I've been noticing a lot more Argo talk over on Five Ninety. I've been seeing they've been getting more guests. Really? Like they no. Had, they've had really? they've had Chad Possibly. Kelly on the station. Uh, they feel like the real okay. I know, Chad Kelly. Else, all right. There's nothing else happening. I get that TFC suck. The Raptors aren't playing. The Jays, of course, are every day. But like, I think the Argos are kind of wiggling their way into the Toronto sporting landscape. That's of course until the Leafs are back in mid September. But yeah, and the Raptors and the, the Raptors, Jays of course, the playoffs, and the Jays get the playoffs, and then they'll go back to their fifth place uh, in the city. But I, but it feels yeah. like they're they're good, and I I I, I want to see the people out there at Bemo Field because this is a good group. They are good. I know that uh, last summer, uh, Andrew Harris, uh, when I was doing shows before I accepted the job here in Calgary, uh, he sh- he 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 ghosted us uh, the day of. <laughs> The, like the day of, he was supposed to come on. I'm like, not I'm like, shock. oh well, that's not shock, yeah. He's no, a... but I'm like, oh well, like okay. Then I said, never again. Are we gonna have an Argo on my show? Never again. <laughs> he spoiled it for everybody. Spoiled it, for yeah. Everyone. But yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, although, if if uh, I love to have my man Boris Beatty on any time, he had Boris <laughs> Beatty has an open invitation to this show anytime. <laughs> Your fantasy hero? Hell yeah. Yeah, he is. He's the best. He's my favorite kicker. I love Rene Paredes, and I would give Rene Paredes a kidney if he wanted it. I don't think he wanted mine. But uh, <laughs> Boris Beatty is uh, is my boy in the CFL. You imagine Although- if like they were like able to like pick their kidneys? They had like the stats of everyone who donated them. Here we go. Uh, who's who's the uh, who's the oh yeah Dean Faithful? I also yeah, like him. Thirty-eight year old Dean Faithful. I like Dean Faithful. Thirty-eight year old rookie Dean Faithful. What All right, we'll tee do? up. Uh, yeah, what did we'll, you say? I said, what um, did he just do? Real quick, Maddie, that took him away from football and well, then he, made him come back he, at thirty-eight. He was, he was over hey. overseas. Oh, okay. Life life has a lot of twists and turns, Patrick. Uh, Maddie will explain after the break uh, bird rights or the Rule 5 draft. He'll explain bird both rights. next. What? No, I don't NBA. want to do either of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Um, Dave Dickinson next. And uh, what it would take to uh, tackle a big-time NFL running back. We'll do that next. It's the Big Show. Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. You're listening to the Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. The top of the hour. We're helping you out with your fantasy football. Mm. Get you thinking about it. It's April. Drafts are at the end of the month or early September. Jeff Erickson, Rotowire Senior Editor. He's a host on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. He'll join us at the top of the next hour, and we're playing Impossible Flames Trivia at 8.30, your chance to win a $50 gift card from VK Bruco and some swag for a question that's damn hard today, let me tell you. It's uh, it's damn near impossible, hence the name. Uh, but joining us on the line right now in the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Oh, and, and by the way, to wrap up this hour, uh, we'll tell you what it takes to uh, – tackle a superstar NFL running back. But right now on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, the head coach and general manager of your Calgary Stampeders, we say good morning to Dave Dickinson. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm doing all right, you guys. 
Uh, Dave, I have to ask mm-hmm. you, how many tackles did you make in your CFL career? Uh, a few, um, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> I do remember uh, knocking myself out on a pick that I decided to try to take the defensive end out with the back of my head so I could make a pile, and that didn't go my way. But uh, <laughs> no. don't ever remember winning a tackle. You know, I got oh. him down. I remember uh, probably the one that stands out the most was um, missed field goal. And uh, Ed Hervey returned it, actually, and I thought I'd get him on the sideline with a big shot. But it got him out of bounds, but I think I was the one that ended up on, on my back. So <laughs> didn't win a lot of those battles, for sure. Uh, were, were you, uh, obviously, being such a competitor, you, you, you thought you wanted to get into that action, right? Obviously, you're, you're angry about throwing a pick, but you also wanted to get in there and make a tackle, right? Or did you ever think, uh, probably not the best idea here that it'll kind of hurt my arm? Uh, usually it was more the the first part pissed off. Um, you know, yeah. I do remember, though, getting just blasted uh, by a guy named Lamar McGriggs uh, on an interception. I never saw him. You know, those those plays would never happen anymore because you chase him and he would scoop around, you know, and they come back at you and just those are the ones you see here. They were the highlight play back in our day, which uh, we're pretty glad they're out of the game. So, yeah, when you throw a pick, you're supposed to have a head on a swivel, but I always felt like the – but I would say the softer you played, sometimes they'd find you, you know. In our day, they didn't have to worry about uh, a lot of rules. They uh, they come find you and they take you out. Uh, Dave, I don't think I've ever asked you this question now that you mentioned it. Uh, holding for kickers, uh, were you a big fan of it? Were you always terrified that they're going to kick you in the hand? Like, how nope. did you approach that part of the game? <laughs> to me, it was, a good, uh, it was a good way to get in the game. I remember playing a playoff game, I think it was 90-something versus Sass. I'm going to say maybe in uh, 97. And, and it got blocked, and the guy picked it up clean, and obviously it was a defensive corner, and he was 5, 10 yards ahead of me. And he ran. I ran all the way down the field by 80, 90 yards. When I got back, uh, the guys were like, uh, why'd you run that whole way? I said, well, it kept me loose, you know, in case I have to play. And <laughs> guess what? Garcia got hurt, and I had to play. So, uh I liked it, actually, and I feel like uh, we ran some fakes. Got my first touchdown pass on a fake field goal to Ronnie Meyer. So uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, your kicker hit 200 career games. He hit 2,000 points this season. He hit 500 made field goals this year. Uh, just a thought on how you can kind of celebrate Renee, even though things have not gone your way this season. Well, yeah, we used him too much this past game, you know, six field goals. Yeah. He did some great kicks, and we had to have him because we weren't that close on some of his field goals. But you're not usually going to win any games without a touchdown. So, um, you know, Montreal actually won the game without a without an offensive touchdown. But it was one of those back and forth, and both teams were kind of moving the ball but not finishing, not really finding that play to get in the end zone. And, uh, you know, without Rene, yeah, we wouldn't have, wouldn't have been in that game. This offense has looked frustrating for the last little bit. Um, what what are you seeing from Jake Mayer that he can maybe try to improve on in, j- in just a short week before you go through what's going to be a very tough stretch of games with some very difficult teams? Yeah, I mean, I probably disagree on frustrating. The, the frustrating is the, the mistakes are, are super costly. Mm. Uh, you know, we're turning the ball over too much, and Jake knows that. And we've talked about it, but talking about it doesn't do anything. You just still got to... You got to just have an idea, you know, what's a what's a I guess a calculated risk and what might not be uh, the right throw. Uh, but they actually um, and Jake's been playing pretty well. Is moving around in the pocket. What's 
probably the most frustrating now is we've kind of lost our edge up front on run game. we got to somehow find that. And, uh, you know, Kadeem should be practicing today. Uh, maybe he can help us out and get us, get, in, get us back to a little bit more balance. But uh, offensively, we've gotten better. We are moving the ball. That red zone, green zone efficiency last game wasn't yeah. there. Uh, but overall, I think our guys have been improving, as, and we just got to take care of the ball better. One of the things that you've mentioned is you you got to build confidence by going out and making plays. How is that kind of mixed into the play calling process? When maybe you think, hey, we got to try and make sure that these guys' confidence is at as high level as possible. Are there certain plays that you can call to try and help in that sense? Yeah, I mean, um, risk reward, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then uh, you know what really what you want to try to do is situational football and when do you take your foot and take it uh, more of a you're on cruise control or are you kind of putting the pedal to the metal at uh, something you think can knock them out and you really don't know if you're right until the result of the play so that's play call is tough play call is really hard because you really you, you go with what your gut tells you and what your information tells you and sometimes it may be the perfect call for the perfect defense and doesn't work and other times you know, it works, and you're like, man, we were not expecting that look. So um, just more than anything else is uh, the quarterback has a lot of say in the game because he has the ball on every play. Yeah. Uh, try to get it. Try to get the ball in the hands of your playmakers and let them, let them go to work for you. Uh, Dave, uh, Kadeem Carey uh, was back last week, limited in practice, obviously didn't go on uh, on Sunday in Montreal. But uh, this week, uh, maybe a chance he goes on Friday. But uh, would you like to see, if Carey's able to go, would you like to see get Mills and Carey going, get kind of like a two-headed running back thing going with the run game? I think if he's able to this, this mm-hmm. game, we'd, we'd want to do that. Um, but he's got to really show that he's got that jump and bounce today and um, he's getting better. Yep. There's no no doubt he's close. But if he doesn't have that explosiveness, uh, Toronto's super physical, fast defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know, with one practice, it makes it a little more difficult. But we're going to play him as soon as as soon as we feel uh, he's capable. And yeah, we we would uh, stay with a two headed monster. But Kadeem would be the lead guy for sure. Dave Dickinson's the head coach and general manager of the Calgary Stampeders, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, <laughs> Russick and Rose. Dave, this uh, schedule you have ahead is very daunting, uh, playing the Argos twice, the Lions, and Bombers. What kind of a challenge is this for your team? Well, we got to just focus on this one because we're we are in a we're struggling right now to find a way to win. It doesn't matter who our opponent is. So, my thought is just compete with yourself and and play well. If we play well enough, I, I think uh, we can beat anybody, uh, but we've got to go do it. So tough, tough stretch, no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, it's a short turnaround as well. But we just, uh, you know, and our, our guys are they are still hungry. They're still playing hard. And, um, you know, we do look forward to the challenge, even though we know, uh, you know, we're playing an undefeated team and, and the defending champs. What did you make of your team's pass rush in your first game without James Waters? I thought we did okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, the main thing is, uh, as you said before, when you say you need plays, uh, the best way to, to make plays on defense is to harass the quarterback and get him into situations that he's not comfortable, and then hopefully he'll he'll put one up there that you guys can make plays on and DVs can find an interception. You know, but we didn't play poorly at all. We just had no turnovers, you know, no fumbles and no, uh, no uh, interceptions. So uh, we weren't loose with the ball till the very end, uh, uh, really. Uh, we only had the one pick six, and then yeah. we had the two in the last two minutes of the game. But 
we needed a turnover. We needed a spark. And uh, even though they played uh, quite well, uh, just weren't able to find that, that big play to kind of get us going. Uh, the other uh, part of the defense, that secondary, is also uh, pretty beat up. But uh, Brad Muhammad made his uh, re-debut with the Stamps uh, there on Sunday. And, of course, got Nick Taylor in for his, for, for his first set of action. And Brandon Dozier was there as well. But how would you like the secondary's play uh, as it's, you know, uh, being held together with, uh, with a lot of guys? With the, you're, you're really being tested with the depth there. Yeah, probably Dozier played the best. Yeah. Um, he really did. He had a good game on that. Him and Cam Judge, uh, I think, graded out the highest mm-hmm. on defense, uh, which isn't surprising. No. Uh, we were a little beat up. Uh, you know, guys playing. We moved Moxie around. We moved Kobe around. So, really, it was like, honestly, four or five different guys in different areas. And we didn't quite have the game we were looking for. Um close but then we were just a little bit off or the other guy made the play and yeah. uh playing playing a you know another good group uh, and a high high powered offense with a lot of talent uh guys that really do well after yards after the catch uh, so Trey Trey should be back uh, Roberson um he has to get through this practice today and then if he does he can help us and uh we do have we know we'll be challenged stop stop the run game get him into get him into uh second and long, and then hopefully we can find ways to to get some interceptions. Mike always just fit this defense like a glove, hey? Like, there's one thing when you can just rack up the tackles, but the way that he's been able to kind of chase after the ball and help you in the run defense, has has that just been kind of exactly what the key to this defense is in the middle? He has played well. Uh, He's doing a lot of good things, and he's fit in well. Um, As you see, though, I'm Mike Linebacker. You know, we do a lot of things up front, to free that guy up, and we just need a good, good, solid leader playmaker in that in that role, and he's doing a nice job. Um, but uh, we thought in the off season that we could make something work in there with some quality players, and Michael was one of those options. The other two guys, Perry Young and Silas Stewart, really haven't been able to stay healthy or even uh, get on the field in Silas's case, and and Mike has taken the job and ran with it. So um, him and Judge, I think, are a good combination. I really think Cam is, is, you know, the versatility he showed in there is, is very, very impressive. And then, like I say, Mike is a tackling machine. Uh, yeah, Toronto's the opponent on Friday. Of course, there's a lot of guys on that side of the on that side of the ball that uh, you know we're very familiar here in Calgary. You got Corey Mays, of course, Ryan Dinwiddie, and of course the players. But uh, overall, this this is a really good Toronto team. Like Chad Kelly has come into this league and, and just taken off. Like, what is overall? Like, what have you seen out of this Argonaut group that's made them undefeated to start? Well, they're confident. Yeah. Uh, they do have a lot of skill. They got a lot of size. Mm-hmm. Uh, like their DBs are huge and. Um, and, you know, not that they're not good, but they're completely basically haven't had any health issues, yeah. um, which is great. And a lot of times, I'm going to tell you the truth on it, is when you're playing ahead, it's easier to stay healthy um, mm-hmm. because you can dictate the, the mm-hmm. play and dictate the calls, and you can uh, kind of pin your ears back and be more aggressive on things. And they've, uh, I think they came in flying on the radar for a defending champ. I mean, a lot of people weren't talking about him, and, you know, and it started out with, you know, BC, and it started out with Winnipeg, and, and Toronto's beat them, beat pretty everyone that shows up in their in their past. So uh, we we know we got a tough one. They they kind of took it to Sask at the, the over there in Halifax. Uh, so they're on a long road trip as well. So really, both teams have to find dig deep and find that energy. And uh, we need the win. Uh, Dave, before I let you go, uh, there was a weather delay uh, in that game you guys had in Montreal. What do you do during a weather delay? Is there time to order pizza? How do you guys approach that when you're just sitting there waiting for the game to kick back up? Well, I was lucky. It was at halftime. 
Uh, and craziness is after the game ended, I mean, the skies opened up. I mean, if we would have went to overtime, which we were sure hoping to get there, could have been an interesting, uh, could have been an interesting overtime period with the, the weather. We sat on the tarmac for over an hour because of lightning. When the guys got home, we got home at 4:15 in the morning. If you think about it, East Coast time, that's 6:15. The guys, uh, it's been, uh, they are tired. So I've got to be real safe with them. Weather delay is what I do. Is just watch, watch the game because you can get on the iPads now. Try to make adjustments, and I think we did. We knew what they were doing, and and we certainly, I thought, had a better second half. Uh, we just weren't able to get in the end zone. Once again, we just weren't able to find that spark play on defense. Close on special teams. Special teams had a good game. Guys played well. Tommy Lee had another good game returning, but just couldn't quite find that one spark play to to get things rolling. He is the head coach and general manager of your Calgary Stampeders, Dave Dickinson. Dave, best of luck this week. Thanks for this. Okay, guys. Catch you next week. There he is in the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. Maddie Rose, what did you do during that 40-minute weather delay? Uh, made dinner. Yeah. Ate, ate dinner. Okay. Consumed dinner. Um, okay. And then I think uh, I started writing some morning report. Mm-hmm. I I, hey. I did I did the same thing. I made dinner. I was actually stoked because usually like I start making dinner at halftime and I'm kind of winding down right as the game begins and did I miss like dinner the first... or supper. I made dinner. <laughs> Pat made okay. supper. I, I made, made supper. I made dinner. Um, okay. Even though it was at the same time, which kind of goes against what they mean, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it was nice. I got to actually enjoy enjoy my meal. Um, stamps and Argos uh, this Friday night. Uh, down at McMahon. Okay, um, I've teased this story at the top of the next hour. Uh, Jeff Erickson's going to join us, RotoWire senior editor, host on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio. Uh, but first, uh, Mike Vrabel, yes. uh, the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, was asked uh, something really interesting uh, at training camp this week. Uh, and a hypothetical scenario. This show loves hypothetical scenarios. Yo, big time. Uh, we love to do these kind of things. Uh, it involves Derrick Henry. Uh, you know, massive Derrick Henry, uh, going to be a top pick in your fantasy football draft. The guy's a hulking man. He's six foot three, 250 pounds of pure speed. Uh, Mike Vrabel was asked, uh, in a 10 yard space, how many five year olds would it take to tackle Derrick Henry? Five-year-olds to tackle Derrick Henry. He said, quote, an S-ton. I don't even know if they could. How many kids would die in the process, he asked. Yeah, that's what uh, I, do mean. I need to give you? Do I need to give you a number, like a legitimate number? What's the area? Is it a confined space? Let's say he got a 10-yard wide space. He said it would probably take about 35 five-year-old kids to tackle Derrick Henry. I think that number is way too low. I think it's in the hundreds. Hundreds? I think you need 100 kids to bring him down. He's in a confined space, though. He, I don't know. And, like, his legs are humongous. You could fit, like, 10 five-year-olds on each one. Yeah. And at that point, you're not moving. Like, I don't I guess, care. Yeah. They're only five years old. They weigh, like, what? I don't know. What does a five-year-old 60 weigh? 60 pounds, 70 pounds? Five, 50 pounds? Yeah. Sure. But if you wrap 10 of them around each leg, like, yeah, Derrick Henry is a... He's the Yeti. He's a beast among men. Mm. But even at that point, I feel like you could get him down. 
This the problem though, with I... all of this is, is when you open up the width of is the we'd field. all love to see it. Yeah, I want to no, see sorry. it. Sorry, I want to <laughs> yeah, see it. No. I don't know. I'd love to see this. It's any, like that time any... that uh, the we can't. It was that they had like a like a thousand. Ja- no, maybe not a thousand, but they had a bunch of like, kids from Japan yeah. try to play the Japanese soccer team, and they went from one end of the field to the other, and none of them could catch any of these kids, the players. <laughs> that's different. Yeah. That's so much space. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah, lot of that's space. Soccer. And yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and and one and step you, of an adult would carry like what three of a five year olds. Yeah. yeah. And they're and incredibly top heavy. And if you're over easy. <laughs> And if you're volunteering your child to tackle Derrick Henry, you're a bad parent. But uh, in this hypothetical, in this hypothetical situation, I feel like 35 is still low. But Maddie does bring up a great point, Patrick, that it is a confined space. Okay. But I would say that number's around 100. I would agree with you, Patrick. Like the thing is, once you get past 35, like what what are the other 70 kids doing? Right? Swarming, swarming. No, but they're Getting not gonna, on his head. They're not going to climb up him like it's World War Z, and they're climbing up the walls. That's exactly the, get... th- no. the image I'm thinking. No, <laughs> you run out of you run out of human space to be covered in Derrick Henry after about thirty-five five-year-olds. Okay, so this is the reason why I wanted to ask this question or do this story. I want to go around the room, Maddie, in a ten-yard space. How many five-year-olds would it take to take you down to tackle you with the football? Uh, is it 10 yards wide and I have to get 10 yards? We're going to like a square. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I think like a dozen. I think I, could, oh. I think I could probably get That's through it. a dozen. You could do better than a dozen. You're a pretty uh, <laughs> big boy. <laughs> you absolutely could do better than a dozen. Um, okay. Like 20. I don't know. Like at, <laughs> How much am I allowed to get the stiff arm going? Like that's what I would do. I would Legs. just be stiff arming these kids like nobody's get business. Get off me! Just, just pushing them into the ground, just pushing them, Ooh. pushing them straight to hell. I would be doing high knees, um, okay. maybe catching, okay. ki- catching kids in the chin, constantly that type spinning, of thing. constantly yeah, just, spinning. Just you know what? <laughs> slamming the B button. Yeah. I would hope it would take at least fifty-five-year-olds to take me down. No. Once again, I'm thinking that's a, a lot of you people. get to a certain extent where they could literally just be like, "Okay, we're mil- we're making a wall." Like all they had to do was get I think s- you get touch about- me and they're sticky and I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Gross, vile five year old. Exactly. Like, yeah. They're just covered what are you in filth. Cotton candy. What is? This? <laughs> all right. Okay. 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 Let's just settle it this way. GVP. Why don't you? Why don't you think you give us the estimate on how much five year olds? How many five year olds it would take to tackle the three of us? Or the three of you? Um, yeah. Well, no. Each one of us give us individually, your power. Individually, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I, I feel like George would honestly be able to survive the longest. I think he's got a lot of pent up anger within him for a little bit. It's true, and I <laughs> so, have short legs that'll just be pumping the whole time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're all torso, like you say quite often. Um, it's true. I, I'd say I think you're. I don't think you're at fifty. I'd say like forty five ish, somewhere around right. there. I think I think Matt okay. Rose would gas out. And he's, uh, I think so. He's around 28. 28. Okay. 28, somewhere okay. around there. And then I think Patrick would do better than what he thinks. So I think he'd be around like 35, 38 kind of thing. Like if, if I, if there's no, if, really I, if I have here, no man. regard for human life in the famous <laughs> words of, uh, of, you don't. Uh, yeah, Kevin Harlan. Uh, of Kevin Harlan, uh, then yeah, I'm, <laughs> give me, give me, throw them all at me. I will, I will, I'll do my best. 
I will do my best. You should see the look in his eye right now. Like, Termination. This is, a, this is a man who's ready to go. If, if you get Patrick right at 6 o'clock when he's a little grumpy in the morning still, then maybe he can get he to can that like 50, 35, 55. 40. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're getting texts yeah. like, uh, my 5-year-old's 35 pounds, my 6-year-old's 45 pounds. So, yeah, get, get him right at 6 quite o'clock. Small. Then, so, then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me at least 35. Yeah, I can, get, I can take him out. Uh, look at him uh, on the text line. Matt clearly doesn't have kids. Yes, they climb all over you, each other. I get it. His eyes, nose, anything. They can grab their fingers on. They we'll grab that mustache. Holy no, there crap! Is, they'll grab a, that mustache. There is a reason I don't have kids, and it's all the reasons you just uh, listed. <laughs> Andrew in Hidden Valley. My five-year-old is thirty-five pounds. It would for sure take at least a hundred to stop him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like. The, the, these kids are not to be trifled with nowadays. And also, you know that they're not playing dirty. You know as soon as you're not looking, one of them is going to punch you right in the nuts. Oh, yeah. 100%. You're going right and then down. It's, then it's done. Then you're done. Now, Man, but I just keep... Now you're I smothered. Just keep, you're dogpiled. I just keep thinking about that stiff arm that and actually was the flag on the plane. Didn't even count. But the stiff arm that uh, Derrick Henry gave Josh oh. Norman of the Bills. <laughs> and he put him in he the next He just threw week. him into the earth. <laughs> he just threw him into the earth. Yeah, they almost had to pull him out from the other side yeah. of the planet. Like, he was he was in the mantle. He threw him so deep. <laughs> like What is that, three crust deep? The mantle? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I so. I remember. I we threw him into the. I don't know. I just. I was thinking about what part of the earth levels of mantle the mantle was the first crust. one that popped into my head. The mantle. Yeah, it's three down. There you go. Okay. Good job. All right. That'd be. It worked. All right. Uh, <laughs> fantasy football talk. We'll ask Jeff Erickson how many five year olds it would take to take down Derrick Henry, and how many and then we'll uh, ask him, uh, le- levels to the Earth's crust there are. No, we won't do that. Okay, that's fine. tough. That's... An impossible flame of trivia at eight thirty. You never uh, let me do anything ahead. fun. Yeah, you want to talk about the Earth's crust. Well, you want to talk about how flat the Earth is, too? All right, uh, let's get to uh, Jeff Erickson. No, I'm not going down that road. I don't believe Eventually, the Earth is you flat. just fall off. I don't believe the Earth is flat, but there's some interesting stuff out there. All right. It's the big show. You're such a clown. I know. I just like <laughs> to poke the bear. Uh, it's the big show. Ruskin Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan.